turned it on, I was going to yell out, let you know I don't really need this thing. And that's, that's a miracle because um, a month or so ago I got pneumococcal pneumonia. <clears throat> Before that I had a kind of croupy cough, couldn't talk really good. And then when I got the pneumonia, I couldn't breathe, and I'm not exaggerating. One morning I got up, and the kind of dull pain I had became a knife that went straight in, and I, I couldn't take a single breath. I was trying to make it to the, re- the bathroom, and I couldn't make it. Thinking, okay, I need to go back to bed, lay down, and try to relax, because I think I need to breathe. Somewhere, Deborah got kind of an unction, and she jumped up and ran across the room and grabbed me by both sides of my chest and walked me back to bed. I laid down, and I still couldn't breathe. And then I turned a little bit, and the pain subsided enough for me to take my first breath in about two minutes and you just don't know how how much you need to breathe to stay alive in this life you know you take breathing for granted which that's understandable but it's interesting in the bible that breath literally comes from the holy spirit There's not an animal breathing out there, even if it's a lizard, that didn't get his breath from the creator who is blessed forever. I thought about how each one of you out there is a miracle. You are like that little baby girl back there at one time, only further back you were two cells that came together in your mother's womb. And that's a miracle. But if I was to turn to the first book, the first page of this wonderful holy book, it would tell you that there was a perfect God who made all of creation before he made the first man. And he communed together in a triune discussion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and said, let us make man in our image. And you can never underestimate how miraculous it is to be a creation in the image of a holy, righteous, almighty God. And... um, Then last week, uh, I thought I was going to teach on the first miracle, speaking of miracles, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus turns famously turns water into wine. And I did a so-so job of reading that passage and commenting on it a little bit, but I had been struck as I studied that passage, and I followed the subject of the wine that he refers to when he tells his mother, woman, what have I to do with you? My hour has not yet come. And I I followed that time that he was referring to, his hour, 
had not yet come. I followed that through the Gospel of, of John, and I, I saw him preach to 4,000, 5,000 individual groups of his uh, hand-chosen disciples, and he would tell them that he was the bread of life and that they must feed upon him and they must drink his blood. And they, uh, the disciples didn't like the sound of that because many times in the Bible, God uses the physical, the elements, the things that we handle, see, our senses. He uses those to demonstrate a spiritual truth. It's no less true. In fact, sometimes the physical replica here on earth is merely a type of something that is in heaven. A throne of God literally exists in the third heaven according to this book. And this book is a miracle. I saw on the, on the show this morning, the Gutenberg Bible was printed in 14-something or other. A miracle, there's only like six copies left in existence. But just the fact that they had paper, which the word paper comes from papyrus, which all paper are made of different kinds of fibers. Back then, it was in Egypt, it was... Papyrus, but the first paper recorded historically was made in China from, from rice. But I say this, this book, though it was first printed, I'm talking, it's not hand copies anymore, it's printed and put together. It was a miracle that they had all of the books of the Bible together. Now, I still want to turn over to the Gospel of John, and I might read together. Though we read, we read together last week that passage, I want you to realize I've come to know that this is not just the first story of the first miracle of Jesus recorded in the Bible and that he's demonstrating that he's God and he can make water into wine. There actually are some truths here that are even bigger than that. And I don't take anything away from the fact that there are miracles in the Bible that point to Jesus Christ as not only the Christ I just called him, Jesus, Jehovah, Savior, Christian, which is Christ which comes from the Hebrew Messiah, it, it's that God himself has, has anointed Jesus Christ and he has come to do his Father's will. These songs we sang this morning, I, I felt like, again, that the sermon, if I had one, is contained in each one of these songs and how wonderful it was that I could look at those and know those are in accordance with this book. The truths we sang about the Lamb of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, His anointing, 
this age that is coming where he will truly rule and reign on this earth. You see, we're not there yet. As, as Andrew taught in, in Timothy, as he wrote that epistle to, to Timothy, we're in a war. We're in a struggle. And that's not some unique thing that Paul talks about only to Timothy. He wrote a letter to the Ephesian church, and, and uh, Andrew had us turn there, and he talks about putting on the full armor of God. Now, again... Is he literally talking about Christians putting on some kind of armor? Or is he using physical analogies on this earth to where we put on a breastplate? And and you can describe the Roman soldier's breastplate. Because Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier when the Holy Spirit inspired him. A Roman soldier's breastplate could either be metal or leather, and it would extinguish, uh, it would stop a lot of the things that the attacker would do. But first of all, it had to, that had to get past his shield of faith, which, as I started to quote, extinguishes the fiery darts of the wicked one. Amen. Now there I've just mentioned our adversary, the devil. Jesus Christ made it very clear. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. We don't really war against flesh and blood. Our problem is not with our our enemy on earth. It's with the God of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness, the one who chose to rebel against God in the first place, who came down and deceived Eve who messed up the creation I referred to a little while ago. There was a time when God had created us in His image and we could make choices as we still do. Do you realize, I want to just carry that thought for a second. God made you in His image. The Bible actually says, Jesus Christ tells the Pharisees when they accuse Him of claiming to be the Son of God, He says, What's the problem with that? Don't you know in the scriptures it says you are God's? That may sound blasphemous. But Jesus Christ said that and he referred to the Old Testament scriptures as recording that and it doesn't take a lot of thinking. If I made it the image of God and I can make my own choices, that's pretty incredible. I'm not just running around down here by instinct like so many of the other birds that are migrating and, and animals that are protecting their young or not. It's, I actually have choices. I can make choices, and I do it every day. But this word has made it clear that God chose to not leave me in my own miry choices. He didn't leave me after Adam made a wrong choice after Eve was deceived by this rebellious angel, he didn't leave me to flounder around down here and try to save myself. Now, did he take his time getting here? He sure did. But he gave Cain and Abel an opportunity to worship him. 
And Cain brought the lamb, and Abel brought the fruit of the ground, and God says this works and this doesn't, and Cain got upset and killed his brother, and judgment came upon Cain. Later on, before the flood, there came a judgment upon all mankind because we had deteriorated where the Bible records every thought of man was evil continuously. I still have a little trouble believing that. But I do have something to say. In addition to that, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, many of you here know what grace means. Unmerited favor. So did Noah merit that favor? Not by the definition of grace. I don't know what God saw in Noah. I may never know exactly, but he became an example of someone who then did what God told him to do and build an ark because I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to judge mankind. God is a God of justice and righteousness and judgment, but he also is the God of salvation. He sent the deliverer, not just Moses, to deliver his people out of Egypt. He sent Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind, the Bible says, especially of them that believe. Now, what does that mean? If he's the Savior of all mankind, why do I have to believe? Well, God God created you to choose. He created you to trust in him to believe his word when he tells you that tree over there will kill you if you eat it. You can have a a bite of every other tree here. That one will kill you. Are you going to believe him? Well, maybe Adam did for a week. I don't know. But when Eve said, pretty yummy, he took a big bite. And then he knew he had done wrong. He was, his walking and talking with God, his fellowship with a holy, righteous God was broken. Death entered into the relationship. He lost that that he was originally created to have. He needed a, a person to die in his place who was perfect. A perfect lamb of God, as we sang about. He needed to be saved. Eve needed to be saved. All mankind that descended from him still needs a savior. So, are there other saviors that have come into the world? I know of not any. There was a time I didn't know Jesus. I was 25 years old when I finally started asking seriously the question, who is Jesus and what did he do? I'd been raised in a Presbyterian church. I don't know if I thought I was a Christian. I kind of had a little respect for the Bible because when I saw a guy had underlined and written some things in the, in the uh, border, I thought that was blasphemy. It ought to be on a pedestal somewhere or like the Gutenberg Bible in a museum but I didn't 
want to obey God. I saw Christians coming out of church that I knew were drunk on Friday night, and I thought they were hypocrites. And I wondered, you know, do I want to be one of them? And then, you know, later on, I came to realize after knowing Christ, everybody's a hypocrite. There was only one guy on earth that always did what his father wanted, even to the point of taking my sin, drinking the cup down, being separated from his father for the first and only time in all of eternity, and committing his spirit to God on my behalf. He didn't have to die. There was nothing going to kill Jesus except my sin. And that hour was appointed. So as we look here in John, and and, and if I had any connective thought in all of this telling you what miracles you are to be here, and, and, and I'm thankful, like Rebecca, that we're here. Each and every one of you is here. Whether you are a Christian or not. And, and I think that, by, that word's only used two or three times in the Bible. That's a person who has, is a follower, a believer in the Christ. The one who, this book, you, we're in chapter 2 here. Chapter 1 starts off, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word of God, as Ben read there in the letter to the Philippians, he knew his time had come to leave the Father's side, come down here and be born in a woman's womb like we were, and set the little time clock going in a way that we can see a baby. And, and Simeon and others, a prophetess, a prophetess and a prophet, they came and they saw this babe and they knew by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit they were looking at the Christ. Earlier, shepherds had been told by angels, the Christ child is laying in a manger. Last week, we took a minute to go over into Luke and we saw where this child at 12 years old went with his parents in a caravan to Jerusalem to worship and then they left town and the caravans took off and get a day's journey and they probably set up camp and somebody says, has anybody seen Jesus? No. Well, check over on that camel or whatever in that tent and they couldn't find him. They had to take a day's journey back and they found him in the temple and they came up and said, don't you realize we're anxious? We've been looking for you for two days. It's now the third day. And he says, well, what's your, basically, what's your problem? Don't you know I need to be about my father's business? Now, he was 12 years old. It's a sign of a young Jewish boy to start being a man. But he submitted, the Bible says, to his parents 
and he left town. But it wasn't until after he had really impressed some people there with his knowledge and his anointing by the Holy Spirit, his insight into the Word. And if I have any insight, it's by the gift of God. And, And I come up here knowing John, this same John, who is kind of the connector in this thought of mine, he says in an epistle, you have an unction. You have an anointing by the Holy Spirit. So when I come up here, I'm not as an evangelist speaking to some group of people who, who do not know the truth. I'm speaking to, to peop- God's people who have the Holy Spirit. And I am, I am, it's almost like, okay, it says preach the word in season and out of season. I feel like I don't need to preach the word to these people. They, they need to be fed and equipped Because we live in a dispensation where God has chosen his people to do the work of the ministry. In my study in this week, I read over in Revelation, which is also written by John. And it says to one of the churches, this much I have against you. You've left your first love. They had had gotten all their doctrine right, but they weren't as excited about loving and walking with Jesus as they were when they first got saved. We all have experienced times in our life, if we've been a Christian any time at all, when we used to be more excited about Jesus than we are. That's one reason we get together and we sing songs like we did this morning. We get our mind renewed and we get things in perspective. It's, it's not how much money we make, how good a job we have, how well or sick we are. Those are all things God can use in your life. One of the things that comes about in this story is, as, as Ben again read in that passage to the Philippians, count it all joy, not just that you have been chosen by God to believe in Jesus, which is a miracle, but that you have been given an opportunity to serve and even suffer. We, we don't like to talk about a God who allows suffering. We want to be miraculously healed all the time. Don't take anything from that. But God actually had Jesus Christ suffer on your behalf. And I didn't write that letter to the, epistle, to the Philippians. Paul the Apostle did. And he knew what he was talking about when he said... You've also been, I mean, you've been given the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. We want to have, um, I don't want to say we got a better, we want to have a better roses with our Christianity. But the truth is, is, as Andrew taught, it's a war out there. Satan has not been locked up and put in the pit yet. Jesus Christ, the second coming, has not happened. The kingdom has not been set up. And I have a little bit of a clue for you. When I studied that kingdom, there's still some problems then. Jesus Christ is going to come back and rule with a rod of iron. And there's going to be thrones set up and judges, 12 thrones judging just the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel is going to judge all the other nations. We're finally going to get a system that works on this earth. 
And it's not going to be our election. It's going to be God's election. That's what this book says. I have to read this book and remind myself of what is the truth. The truth. That that belt of truth that you hang everything else of your armor on. Your sword of the spirit. It's, It's the truth. Everything in here is the truth. Even when it calls someone a liar... And it warns that in God's kingdom, there will be no liars. They'll be excluded. Well, we all know we're hypocrites. We've told lies. What makes the difference is your faith in the Savior. He's the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. That was the title of the sermon last week. Are you thankful I'm not just talking about thankful for this, that, and other, another another day of life, as Ronnie talks about, another breath, but for your salvation. It didn't, I said last week, your salvation did not come easy. Yes, there's a verse in the Old Testament where God's arm is not so short that he cannot save. Yes, Isaiah the prophet beckons you, come. Let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God is a Savior. He is. He, he can do the impossible. His disciples said, well, how can somebody be saved then? After he told them, uh, uh, it's harder for a rich man to, get, to come into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Whoa. I thought that guy was saved for sure. He sure looks blessed. I can't even catch a net full of fish without you, Jesus. And that guy's got it made. No, he's going to bust hell wide open. Jesus Christ said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Everything this life has to offer. Even as Ponce de Leon, the fountain of youth. What if he could live forever in this world? What does it profit him if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, it's popular now to watch TV and watch zombies walk around. They have no soul. They're Frankensteins. Their bodies made robotically alive again. That's not what God does. God will take you in your mortal body and he will make you have an immortal body like our Lord Jesus Christ. This story in, in this book here where Jesus makes the water into wine the master of the feast later on says, wow, this is good wine. Man, it's late in the feast. Everybody's getting a little, excuse me, everybody's getting a little bit numb. Now's when they usually bring out the cheap wine. 
Do you realize, I, I didn't study the definition of wine, but if I asked anybody out here, you would know basically how wine is made. Somebody has to plant a vine. It has to grow to some kind of maturity and do pretty good getting nutrients out of the ground and mixing it with water and making grapes, right? Those grapes have to be picked at the right time and they have to be put into some kind of a press. And somebody has to press that juice out. Well, you know what you have right there? New wine. And Jesus later on says in the Bible, in Luke, that nobody prefers new wine over old wine. Look it up. One of the encouragements I want you to do is go from today and go see what your Bible says about wine. And, and the other things that Jesus talks about. I am the vine, he said. I'm the true vine. And he who, who, uh, who abides in me will bear much fruit. Yeah. It's very convicting. I sometimes wonder, am I really abiding in the vine? I know he's the true vine. There's other fake vines out there. There's even anti-Christ, this book says. But there's a true Christ. God sent him from his side because he loves the world. This book says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would, there's that word, believe again, trust. You have a responsibility. You've been given the opportunity to be like God and make your own choices. Are you going to continue being deceived by the devil? He's a liar, Jesus said. He's a thief. He broke into Andrew's trailer and stole his stuff. I don't care who he used. The devil is a murderer. He killed Abel. He has a kingdom of darkness. His agenda is destruction. He wants your soul in his kingdom. I don't know why he wants you burning in the lake of fire with him, but he doesn't want God to get the glory out of your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to turn away from yourself and turn to God and ask him to save you. If you do know him, you need to get with the program. There's not some Nicolaitan system. Jesus told the church this much, I thank you for. Though you've left your love, you do hate the Nicolaitans. That was a system of priesthood drug into this age. It is not a part of this age. You are God's priest. You are God's mediator. You're his ambassador. There's only one true mediator. The Bible, this this book says, for this age, the man Christ Jesus He's the high priest. There's not some type priest who has to kind of get washed up before he goes into the Holy of Holies. There's the great high priest in the book of Hebrews who went in and sprinkled his real blood on the mercy seat. And when Jesus made this wine at his mother's request, he made the good wine. It looks like it came easy and miraculously. It's only a type of the blood he shed to save our souls.
and it was not easy. God worked hard to get Jesus down here and fulfill his word. And the devil never quit trying to destroy the seed that would save us. And he was behind crucifying him. But Paul later writes, had he understood, he would not have, under, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He did not understand he was killing the Lamb of God so he could bring many sons to glory. To the glory of God, you're saved. Don't let a day go by. You don't wake up and think, I know God and He saved me. I'm not earning my salvation, I'm not working for my salvation. Though you can misunderstand some scriptures, Paul says to that same Philippian church, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But thank God he gave me the insight. He's wanting me to work outward what he's already done. And do I do it in pride and arrogance? No. I'm up in front of you in fear and trembling right now. Because I'm speaking on behalf of God Almighty and his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no higher calling. If you go from here and speak to one person about who Jesus Christ is, it's the greatest thing you could do. Because if you conquered the whole world like Alexander the Great, it wouldn't compare to saving one soul. And the angels themselves rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents because they can't get one to do it. Only the Holy Spirit and you, his ambassador, can do it. I have a whole lot more to say. There's, there's a word in the Bible called love. The Bible says speak the truth, but do it in love. You can say the right thing at the wrong time, And that's okay. But don't say the right thing with the wrong attitude. I've done it too many times. Let God work on your attitude. Have an attitude of gratitude, as they like to say. And it'll go a long way. I I owe Greg an apology. I want to thank him for helping on this stage floor. I want to thank everyone who had a part in, in getting this done this far. I already thanked Sid for swinging that hammer and driving those nails uh, precisely into these boards. And Andrew's desire to do every board correctly, even though I fought him and I want to you know, tell him it's not the Taj Mahal, guys, it's just a floor. But by the grace of God, this thing is looking really good. And we needed this stage. We need to get rid of a little of this brown carpet, according to some. But I'm thankful to be up here and representing God Almighty, even if it is a little bit in fear and trembling. And I I never looked at my first note, which is what Deborah would have told me to do. Relax. Don't try to say everything. But, But, you know, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. 
I read so many verses today about how blessed you are and we are. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb coming. Jesus said in this book, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until we get to that marriage supper. Now, he later on broke bread with a couple of guys on the way to Emmaus. They got there, and, and, and you know, they were sad. And Jesus said, why are you so sad? Are you the only guy in town that doesn't know what happened to the Messiah? We thought he was going to be the ruler of Israel. We thought he was going to save us and deliver us. And they put him on a cross and crucified him. But even so, a couple of ladies went to the tomb and said he wasn't there, and some angels told him he'd risen, so we don't know what to think. Jesus is the one walking to them, asking them why they're so sad, and he says, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Get with the program. Get in the word. This is God's plan. Don't you know he's supposed to die and suffer on your behalf? That wine I talked about where you take those grapes and you crush them, you then put them in a new wine skin and you wait and it ferments. It takes time to make good wine. It took time for God to save you. The hour had to get just right for him to die on that cross. But you're living in an age where you can look back to the cross, see all God has done, but through the book of Revelation and Paul's encouragement of how to live in this age, you can look forward and you can live by faith and work outward the salvation he has done in your life. And you can bear fruit because you're abiding in the vine. And that fruit, even though there's suffering and pressure and problems, will become a fine wine. That was what Deborah wanted me to title it. I was going according to scripture. I can't believe it how smart she is. She said, I don't like that. That sounds boring. Good wine. I'm not going, that's what he said. It's a good wine. Well, I later looked up the Greek word good, and it's beautiful. It's valuable. It's fine. Super fine wine. The blood of Christ cleanses you from all your sins. Don't wallow in it. Don't let the devil beat you up. Go from here, encouraged, united. Come back later. Be fed and encouraged on his word. But you have a calling. You have been called out from the world. You've been empowered and equipped, cleansed and and made ready to do the will of God. Did you know that Jesus always did the will of his Father? I already said that. Even to the point of death on a cross. Even to the point of drinking down all the rebellion against God the Father that had ever been done. And being separated from his Father whom he loved. 
If he can do that, why can't I, by his Holy Spirit, do the will of God in my life? He's my greatest example. To him, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to gather. I wish we had more of it, Lord, together, fellowshipping in your word, interacting, asking questions, praying for one another, encouraging one another. As we see the day of your return drawing nearer and nearer, even so, as Paul, as, as uh, John wrote, with all the revelation he had had, he asked you, by the Spirit of God in him, to even so, come quickly. We need you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen.